This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, Unholstered, a podcast giving you an in-depth look at all the stories, events, and topics that show how our officers serve and fight for our community every single day. Here we go again, another Saturday morning edition of Unholstered. I am one of your hosts, Kayla Blakesley. And if you listen to WoWo on a regular basis, you know that I host one of my own radio programs here in Fort Wayne, Indiana. But I am kind of on the media side of this unholstered program. We created it uh, out of this desire to really join forces with the Fort Wayne Police Department here in our neck of the woods to really highlight the men and women that uh, that fight for our community every single day. And one of those women is my co-host, Sophia. Good Saturday, everyone. My name is Sophia Rosales-Catina. I am a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome to the show Unholstered. And I just have to say that I'm really grateful that we have this platform to talk to you and bring you inside kind of stories and information about what we're doing here in our community to make this safer and better. And better yet, what community people are doing in this community to make it safer and better working with us. But today we are bringing you the last segment in our kind of roundabout mental health health awareness month. Uh, Today I brought on Sergeant Chris Felton. He is kind of the team leader of our peer support uh, group within the Fort Wayne Police Department and that goes to help officers struggling uh, with day-to-day things or maybe incidents that they have come across on the job. So I'll let Chris introduce himself. I'm Chris Felton, a sergeant with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and I am the team coordinator of our peer support critical incident stress management team. How did you come to be the team leader of that? So when I was working on my master's degree several years ago in criminal justice with a focus on forensic psychology, I started researching uh, PTSD and critical incident stress in law enforcement and really grew passionate about it through my master's work. And I was talking with the union and department at the time, and at the time, the then union was also considering some type of program to help officers. I know some stuff was started with previous administrations and then it just continued as what I was told. And because of my schooling, I was asked to kind of start leading this peer support team. So we initially came, it started three or four years ago, we started working on the policy for it and kind of recruited members for the team and it's it's really kicked off since then. So it's kind of one of those things where we, the, we, we need to kind of face these things that are coming from our community to our police department. You don't think people are aware just how many incidents officers are involved with on a day-to-day basis. You know, I've heard uh, statistics as low as over an officer's career, 188 times they're, they're exposed to critical incidents. And I would I would challenge that, and I'm thinking for larger departments like ours, I'm going to say that's probably in a year. Yeah, I'd say that seemed really low. It, it seems really low. And, it, and mind you, that's an average nationally. So you're talking rural police departments, smaller police departments, kind of on average with the bigger ones. But I think here in Fort Wayne, I mean, just thinking about we've had 37 traffic fatalities in Allen County this year. We've had 26 homicides. So all of those things, and that's not even including child abuse, elder abuse, that domestic violence abuse. I mean, these are all critical incidents. And it's important that we acknowledge what our officers are seeing and what they're mentally going through. And peer support is just a great way that we can kind of say you're not alone, because I think that's probably one of the biggest stigmas, Chris, would you say? Absolutely. There's that huge stigma in poli- in first responders and military that you're supposed to be Superman and suck it up and not have emotions. I'm glad you brought that up, Chris, because that's actually something I wanted to bring up today, especially with our listeners particularly. I'm just going to go ahead and, and say what I think a lot of folks are saying, and that is suck it up, buttercup. You know, you signed up 
for this gig. And I hate that that is the stigma and the mentality. So how would you respond to someone thinking that right now? That we're, we're human beings, we're not robots. And to piggyback, to tie it in together with what Sophia just mentioned, the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation says a critical incident is any situation outside the usual human experience that can overwhelm someone's coping mechanisms or cause them to feel emotions. Mm-hmm. Well, that's everything that we do. So everything we do is outside the usual human experience. That's why we go to so many more critical incidents and we're people. And the research is showing that the cumulative stress of constantly going to these incidents, constantly seeing you know the traumas of society and horrible things that you know fellow man goes through it it affects our psyche affects our mental health our emotions and we are people and we go to this stuff day after day after day for 20 plus years it's if you don't address it somehow we're not robots we are humans and the the old mentality of suck it up buttercup is why you know police suicides we have more police officers kill themselves than are killed in the line of duty same with firefighters and paramedics and it's it's through the roof is that across the country or is that in Fort Wayne across the country country. I think and I looked up statistics specifically for the show so I think 2019 was our largest year for police suicide and in 2019 228 officers died by suicide and in 2020 we saw 173 law enforcement die by suicide so you can see it's a huge number and it wasn't until recently the last administration in 2020 um, enacted a law Enforcement Suicide Data Collection Act. So this is a, the FBI is now in charge, and and departments are to report to the FBI when officers die by suicide because they're going to collect information that will help us prevent and create programming to assist with that uh, cause of death. And you know, it's it's information that you would think you know people would be readily giving but it's you know suicide still even in the general population is really hard for people to come to grips with like my my husband my daughter my son they wouldn't do that mm-hmm. there's a stigma associated with suicide and you know we face it too you know they weren't tough enough or they couldn't handle it mm-hmm. or you know they weren't man or woman enough you know we have those stigmas too within our own departments and i think as Chris, would you say that as younger people get on and they're more, I guess, socially aware and accepting and don't have those big blockades up, that this kind of thing is easing? I've noticed that over the past few academy classes, when I do the, the peer support critical incident training for them, it's a lot more just normalized with the younger generation than with the older generation. Because the older generation, we came up with those mindsets, the, the stigmas with the younger generation, it's a lot more more accepted to talk about suicide and mental health and a lot more just normalized, not as taboo. I mean, I remember we had an officer struggling. There was an accident on uh, US 24 over by Liberty Mills and it was a tar truck and it had overturned and the tar had gotten all over the driver. He was basically burning to death. And that officer, I mean, he helped that man as much as he could. He held his hand while he died. And he struggled with that. And I don't know anybody with a heart that wouldn't have struggled with that. And he asked for help. And I remember an older command person saying how weak that was. Oh, wow. And That's I, not what I actually thought you were just no, going to say. No, no. And thankfully, that person doesn't work for us any longer. But I just lost all respect for that person at that time. Here you have someone reaching out and, and is brave enough to do yeah. that. I mean, because that in this kind of um, culture takes a lot for someone to do and for someone to dismiss someone like that was just disheartening to I me. can't even imagine because I mean I talk about the news 
four hours a day, five days a week. And let's be honest, I feel like 95% of it is pretty depressing, especially in the, the pandemic times that we're living in right now. I think it takes a toll on me and my mental health day in and day out. And I always have to remind myself that home is my happy place, family is my happy place. I can't even imagine, especially when you tell a story like that, that's just downright horrifying. Uh, but what? how does it evolve to where a police officer finally does come forward and say, hey, you know what, I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z, because I think that would be the most challenging obstacle to be able, in your line of work, to be able to admit that and say that. So we have 22 officers on our peer support team, and we're both we're proactive, reactive. Um, some of the stuff that we do when we hear about the critical incidents mm-hmm. officers go through, we have a, a way that we identify the officers who are involved, and then we make sure that we reach out to them to I see, see, hey, how are you doing? We heard you went through this. Um, I've been through something similar. It's terrible. It's it's, it's tragic. So. so you kind of open that door right. for them to walk through it. We touch base with them. We'll give them information. Hey, just, just so you know, when you go home tonight, you may have a hard time sleeping. may have, here's all the normal reactions to this abnormal event you went through. And then we'll follow up with them a week down the road. Say, hey, you're still, still doing all right. So we'll be at proactive that way, reaching out. We also have get referrals from other officers saying, hey, my partner, Joe Smith, is just something's not right. Can you guys check on him? And so we'll do referrals that way. A couple of years ago, I put a anonymous referral portal on our intranet website because even there's a stigma that if, if you don't want to be, sometimes it's hard for officers to refer somebody else because they don't want the other person to know that they referred somebody. Mm-hmm. So officers can go on the intranet website anonymously and say, hey, you know, Officer Stone so is having a hard time. Can you can you please reach out? And we'll do it that way. We get family members contact us. Hey, my husband and wife is struggling. Can you please reach out? So several different avenues that we get referrals to officers on the backside, and then also when incidents do happen, we reach out to them proactively and provide them with information. And then if some of the larger scale um, incidents, then we can use critical incident stress debriefings, which is another tool that we have to to help our officers with with traumatic incidents. And it's not just traumatic incidents, it's just everyday life because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you think about what we deal with at work and you compound that with our personal life, you know, we have struggles just like everyone else. We have children who are um, disabled mentally, physically. We have divorce is really high. Uh, We have relationship problems. We have the day-to-day issues. And then you come to work and you have to listen to everyone else's stuff while you're already struggling at home. That's a lot to ask of anyone. And I think that's where you see compassion fatigue, emotional Mm -hmm. fatigue set in. And then it could really spiral downward for officers. And I'm sure we've all come across them, the negative person, the one who's yelling or screaming when they really shouldn't. It's this little trigger. And, you know, there's someone that once said, um, the problem with policing is we have to hire from the human race. And we get people, humans, with all the emotional triggers that all of us have, and we all have them. Um, it's just, what is our coping mechanism? If no one's ever taught someone a coping mechanism for stressful situations or whatever their triggers are, and maybe they don't even know what that trigger is. It could be something deep-seated from childhood they just don't know about. And we don't know about it. It doesn't manifest until you're on the scene right. in that same situation that that you don't know is your trigger. So there's just a lot of things that go on in policing that people just kind of don't understand. And it's a it's a mental health challenge, not only for us, uh, you know, but as as someone who's in a supervisory position like both of us are, we have to manage people at that level and we have to make sure that they're mentally fit and they're mentally well. And how important is that? Because to me, I think, you know, when it comes to our first responders, man, making sure that they aren't 
incapacitated by some kind of mental health or emotional issue to me would be should almost be a top priority. Do you feel like it is prioritized like that or should it be prioritized like that? I think we do a very good job at the Foreign Police Department with taking care of our officers and mental health and prioritizing um, that sort of stuff. It's nationally until maybe five, ten years ago, this has just been taboo. There's been yeah. not a whole lot for anywhere, but this department, I went to a conference a couple months ago, and I learned that we are ahead of the game compared to a lot of other places in the country. How that did that happen? Just because of the support team that you lead? Or? Well, because of the, we have ex tremendous support from our chief, from our mm -hmm. command staff. Um, not a lot of departments are fortunate to have support from the top. So we have tremendous support there, which really helped our team get off the ground. And we have a lot of people that are passionate about it. So we, we do a fairly pretty good job here. Because the research shows if you have officers, like you mentioned, that are struggling with stuff that's not being addressed, it leads to everything from excessive force to car crashes to sick leave to stress leave to all kinds of stuff. That, I mean, that's just, again, even in my job, if I've yeah. had a rough day at home or what have you, naturally, I'm I'm not going to be overly kind, it seems, you know, to coworkers sure. or I might just be really quiet. I mean, again, we're all human. So, again, I just feel like you, you just amplify that by thousands you know for folks in your line of work um that's actually a really great thing to hear about the fort wayne police department that it is so high up on the priority list but for you specifically chris because you've been in charge of the support team you said for four years now mm -hmm. do you feel like you've noticed a difference within the fort wayne police department when it comes to officers dealing with mental health struggles from let's say five or six years ago to now i've, I've noticed a difference in how it's accepted and normalized when we reach out to people that at first people were caught off guard or had the whole stigma of, oh, I'm, I'm fine, why are you checking on me? But now people thank us and really appreciate us reaching out to them. Um, I've been impressed that we've had, I've had a handful of officers with 20 plus years, the, the old older generation yeah. who have come to us on their own saying, hey, I need help, I have, I'm struggling. And that's, been, that's awesome that even the older generation is comfortable coming to us now. So it's, we've done a good job of just normalizing, talking about mental health and all this stuff lately so it's, it's, it's progressed significantly from the first couple of years to now that it's not we're not looked at weirdly it's not taboo that it's not a you know a negative thing you know but speaking of taboo you know we're talking you mentioned suicide sophia and it's like again even in the news world for example we don't report on suicides we don't talk about them we do that usually out of common courtesy i'm not saying all news departments do that because they don't uh but at least here at whoa whoa we don't report on them, whether it's a first responder or a family member, simply because just out of respect for said families. But a part of me, I'd be curious to get your thoughts, uh, your thoughts on that, essentially. Do you feel like if maybe the media did report on it, so to speak, it might help in terms of the, it being so taboo? I think there's been a general misconception that if you talk about suicide, you're going to plant ideas in people's heads. Mm -hmm. And that we know is a is a myth, uh, you know, and I, I know schools do it as well because you can have a, a child die by suicide and all you get is, you know, there's been a death, um, you know, our counselors are available and all the kids know, um, just like all the adults know, right. uh, but why we don't talk about it, I, I think is, is, you know, partly because we think that we're going to cause someone else to think it's okay to do that. And, you know, that's where it's really challenging and really hard. And I think that maybe, you know, as we kind of develop new programming and we do have a new programming program kicking off here in Fort Wayne that is going to assist families um, when 
someone has died by suicide and really kind of try and break that cycle for them. Um, this is a new program that's getting off, and it's it's this is for the general public, uh, but it will encompass you know first responders if if need be. It's called the Lost Team, um, and it's it's just now got grant grant funding. And we're going to uh, be working with that team uh, within our uh, Allen County area and trying to get families help to break that cycle because That's we know big news. it's huge. And we know that, you know, when suicide happens in a family that that it, it's generational, it, it just opens the door for other family members if they're left unserved mentally and mental health wise. So I think getting out there and getting word out that, you know, this is mental health is no longer a taboo subject. It shouldn't be. And it's mental health is just as, you know, it's just as easy to go to the doctor for mental health or should be as it is to go for a cold Mm -hmm. or to, to check a, you know, get a COVID test. Go in and talk to your doctor. Go in and talk to a mental health person. See a peer support person. Um, we, we've had an increase in suicides. I, I don't know by number, but I've just seen locally, though, we've had a really um, large amount of children, uh, as young as 10, uh, 12, 11, 14, uh, die by suicide. And I, I don't know why. I, I This is beyond my level of comprehension, but it, it's happening, and it's happening here, and we need to start addressing these issues. You mentioned covid do you feel like, Chris, COVID has played a big part in a lot of um, mental health issues among first responders? I think it, I mean, it added general stress because of all the different considerations and changes that we had to deal with, different ways of responding to incidents and, and dealing with people and the fear of you know, the officers that maybe are more susceptible to COVID or, or I guess, medical issues. Mm-hmm of catching it from just doing your job. So that causes a lot of just stress, just dealing for, like for everybody, just dealing with all the different changes and stuff. I don't know the COVID in particular, we haven't seen an increase in like what, what we do with people specifically tied to COVID. I guess just more just a general adding to the general stress. But I mean, you're the folks that are again on the front lines, you're going to how many homes every single day and dealing directly in close contact with how many people every single day. You don't know who they are. You don't know where they're Mm -hmm. from. You don't know their story. So I could imagine, at least for some folks who, again, maybe are more susceptible or have other underlying issues, Mm -hmm. I would think that would cause greater stress for those people. I mean, I don't really know that, but I I would assume that. The the department did a good job of, the dispatchers do a good job of screening callers to ask certain questions to give the first responders a heads up, hey, this may be a positive COVID home or not. And then the department did a good job of changing the amount of calls that are taken in person versus over the phone to eliminate some of the, the stresses and worries about us going to houses for, for the public and for the officers. We take, they were taking more calls over the phone than in person to try to alleviate some of the COVID worry. You know, in I think for us, while it was increased stress, it wasn't overwhelming because we've been dealing with chronic diseases for our our whole careers. So we have to deal with tuberculosis. We've had to deal with HIV. We've had to deal with hepatitis. I mean, these are all things we have to deal with. I mean, we get spat on and bit and kicked and punched and scratched and wounds opened up trying to take people into custody. And, you know, a lot of the people we deal with are not healthy people. Mm -hmm. 
so we've always had to worry about that. This has always been something in the back of our mind. Are we taking home something home to our families? So this is just increased stress. You know, now we have something else to worry about on top of everything <laughs> just, else. Just add it to the it's laundry list. It's just added to the laundry list of, of things we, we need to be careful with. And, and I want to remind people listening that, you know, it, People always talk about, you know, well, you know, you just need some time off. I, I would agree, but every department around this country is understaffed, mm -hmm. and someone has to answer that call when you call. So there's always got to be someone working, and we deal with minimum counts. So I may have four weeks of vacation to use, but if I need a day off because I know mentally I'm not well, I can't just take the day off. Right. I have to make sure that there is someone manning those streets, and if it means I have to come in while I'm having that bad day, that so be it. That's that's the way it has to be. Um, so it, we don't just get to call in and take vacation time. I mean, where else in the world w would a family member of yours die and you can't even attend a funeral because you can't take the time off and they're not in the prescribed contractual family um uh, people that you can take off time off for. So say it's a distant cousin, but you were very close. You can't take that time off to go to even a funeral. Well, you so. bring up the other thing I wanted to kind of bring up, Sophia, because we've talked a lot about um, some of those circumstances regarding your mental health, whether it's, you know, the incident that you talked about with the, with the gentleman in the tar and car crashes and homicides and domestic disturbances. But also what about, you know, when you lose your partner, you're, you're essentially your coworker, uh, in in the line of duty i, I can't imagine that I, I lost a co-worker here at work and it just wrecked me for months yeah that's I me mean, that's one of the top the top critical incidents is a line of duty death of of, of just a simple co-worker on your department but when it's someone you're close to that's that's the one of the worst things you know possible one of the, the nightmares yeah it's difficult i mean we've lost a few here over the course of my career and i remember the first one was bradley madsen and that was I want to say back in 2000, uh, but we were close. I mean, we weren't best of friends, but we were close. We yeah. laughed and joked. We had squad meeting. You know, he had, I left my email open one day and he, or someone else left their email open one day and he sent this uh, love letter from another officer to me. <laughs> and I knew it wasn't that officer, but you know, it was just, that was just what Brad did. Yeah. And, and I remember, and I can still see him there in that emergency room. And I remember another officer taking me, and we—it was at Parkview. We went across the street to St. Jude to the chapel. It was two or three in the morning, and I remember praying. And I am a woman of faith, and that—that that has gotten me through so much. And um, not just in my professional life, but my personal life as well. And and I'm—I just—I. I, fail to understand and comprehend uh, anything that happens here. I, I just, I don't understand how people can be so awful to mm -hmm. one another. Um, I, I just have to f believe that it is part of a bigger plan and hope that, um, that people choose differently uh, when confronted with situations again. Maybe they learn, it's a learning experience. I, I don't know, I, I, you know, it kind of hard to put into words. But I remember going and praying, and I remember, um, I just remember everything about that. So it's things that like that you don't forget. I don't forget the first time I saw a baby that had been dipped in scalding water. Mm. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. I see that visual uh, every time I see a baby with just a diaper on. <laughs> so it's it's these are images you don't get out of your head. You just learn to compartmentalize and move on in, in healthy coping mechanisms. Um, and faith for me is my big one. Kind of to piggyback off that, Chris, maybe for 
you know, first responders listening right now or family members of first responders that maybe they are struggling a little bit, what would be your best advice? Obviously, you said having some coping mechanisms in your case, Sophia, faith, but what would be your best advice? If if you're dealing with several different things, if you're dealing with a call that you maybe recently experienced or in the past has experienced just talking about it, talking to mm-hmm. people that maybe were there with you or your trusted friends or family or talking to a therapist or somebody, but just, just talking about that incident and not bottling it up is a huge deal. Um, just understanding that the emotions you felt then and are feeling now are normal, that you're not weird or weak or anything, that it's it's normal feelings, normal emotions, and that it's okay to, to go seek help for them. Just keeping a healthy, active life, the normal exercising, eating healthy helps process trauma Sophia and stress. brings it up, I think, almost every <laughs> week. You talk about, but, but it's so true. I mean, you talk about it all the time that mm-hmm. you need to make run, time for yourself, whether it's running or yoga right. or what have you. Yeah. That is such a big and, one. And keeping a, a normal life, if yeah. you will. Don't don't make policing or firefighting, first responder stuff, your, your, your life. Have other non-police friends, non-police hobbies, so you get that kind of a, of a call a cool down period of separation where you're not just talking about work all the time and you have that kind of normalcy to your life also remember you're you're a person first and then you're a police officer a firefighter and you're a father mother daughter son first and then a, a police officer don't don't let it consume your life and if you are struggling with something then absolutely seek help from from a peer support team a chaplain a you know a professional therapist but just just talking about it and seeking help is not it's okay it's not taboo and it's it's good. How long are you going to keep leading this team? Until they fire me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just want to uh, say, if you're a department, if you're an officer listening here or a firefighter or someone else in first responder, and, and you don't have you know, these kinds of things at your department, there are things, especially in our listening area, that, that you can do. There is a team called the Crisis Incident Scene Management. I was a part of that. I think that's where I kind of got my profound love for, for mental health. Um, but they're a team that goes out all over Northeast Indiana, and they debriefed critical incidents for these smaller departments who don't have the resources that large departments have huh. to to help in this area. And then they can assist with resources. And the struggle is out there. I mean, a lot of these like fire departments, uh, rural fire departments, they're all volunteer, right? So they have different jobs. They don't do this every day. And they see these things, and it really affects them in those small-town atmospheres the people they're helping are their friends and their family or everybody knows everyone in those small towns. So it's really a, a, has a profound effect on them mentally. So this team goes out and they, they help those um, areas that, that are smaller and more rural kind of get through these situations and, and find those resources. So you can look them up and Google them at crisis incidency management, Northeast Indiana. By comparison, really quick, how, I mean, the Fort Wayne police department in size compared to other police departments across the country, are we pretty average or? I think we're pretty average. Obviously we're the second largest department in the state of Indiana. Indiana yeah. Uh, but I think nationally we're right in that middle. Most of the departments are between anywhere between, you know, 400 and, you know, 800. Those are smaller kind of mid-sized departments and we fall right in the middle of those. Sophia, what do we, I mean, we've talked about mental health. We've talked a lot about drugs recently. We talked a lot about back to school when we first launched uh, this show. What are, we, what are we doing next week? I don't even know what's on tap. I don't even know either. I think we talked maybe firearms kind of talking yes. about licensing and, you know, what you can and can't do, those kinds of things. So we'll talk about that next week. 
Um, Chris is like, I'm coming back for that one. I know, I know. I have lots of people that want to come on for that one. Well, I look forward to myself. If you missed any of our previous Unholstered episodes, don't forget you can download the Unholstered podcast anywhere where you can download a podcast. It's your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 107.5 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.